We came for salvation. We came for family. We came for all that's good. That's how we'll walk away. Aloha. Welcome to the Layman's Lounge podcast, a ministry of the laymanslounge.com, where we exist to bring everyday theology for everyday life. So um, please email any questions or comments or rebukes to me, you, uh, Jason at the laymanslounge.com, or to discuss this episode or any other issues of the Christian life or theology applied or whatever. You can join our Facebook group called Theology Applied. Today we're chatting with Christopher R.J. Holmes. Dr. Holmes is the author of amongst uh, a bunch of other books, A Theology of the Christian Life imitating and participating in God, which I believe was Baker's September two, uh, 2021. So this is a good book. I love any book about the forest. There's so much trees that I never know what we're even talking about. I'm like, wait, what mm-hmm. tree is the most important? Where's the center? So any like big picture stuff I could, I could get is always super helpful. And you open the book saying, quote, this is a book about the Christian life. It attempts to address the heart of that life by considering some of the great truths concerning God, end quote. And so actually, I wanted to open this interview with a few preliminary questions based upon the assumptions of such thing as the Christian life and Mm -hmm. and whatnot. And so the first one is, is the Christian life one of doing or being? That is, you know, like they often say, you know, you're. You're human beings, not human doings. Um, is the Christian <laughs> yeah. life more like a marriage, kind of where there's some give and take, if you will? Or is it more like an, an adoption where you're just adopted? There you go. There it is. And, you know, or like an inheritance. There's sort of no strings attached. So, yeah, first one, what, what are we talking about when we're talking about the Christian life as far as activity mm. or lack of? Yeah, uh, thanks, Jason. That's a really important question. It's a good question. Um, I think in terms of being and doing, you want to put the weight on the being. um, And the doing follows from the the being, as it were. And so when you think of yourself as as a Christian, what is the most, um, what is the truest statement one can say about you? And it's it's that you belong uh, to God the Father through uh, Jesus Christ through your baptism into him, his life, death, and resurrection by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the first thing to be said is, 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 is a statement about who you are in relationship to the triune God. And then, of course, um, there's, there are certain activities that follow from that, mm-hmm. uh, such as praying, a life of service, and uh, praise, um, a life of contemplation of scripture and a desire to obey its message and so um the the doing is is uh you might say asymmetrically related to the the being the doing follows from the the being but of course you only know if you're you're in god if you're actually um living a life that's transparent to the things of god and so i think that's a a useful way of thinking about the being doing relationship Mm -hmm. what is What's the value in just even the most highest level here, quote, quote, considering truth? Like you mentioned that you were going to consider truth in the book. Anytime we're reading a book or something, mm. we're like, I guess we're considering truth. Um, yeah. 
if I'm adopted, right, is there a value in me thinking about it or just simply living in the reality? Oh, I'm adopted. Like, do I, do I need to hearken back unto that, that special day? Or is it like, or shall I just eat with my family? And there we go. Yeah. Uh, well, I think you want to, in terms of your adoption, you want to recognize the one whose family you are being adopted into. Mm -hmm. And that is the, of course the family of God. And so there, there are a great deal of truth claims with respect to that. And, and one of the truth claims is that you uh, belong to Christ in life and in, in death and, and therefore to his people mm. through your, um, bapt by virtue of your baptism. And so um, I don't think for a moment you'd want to think of your adoption as, as irrelevant to the kind of life you lead mm. um your, your entire life is a, is a working out of, of of your adoption if you will and there are a number of different new testament motifs we could work with here but that's that's obviously an, an important one especially to paul um but, but it, it comes down to yes the truth what is the truth of the christian life the truth of christian existence well ultimately it has to do with god and it has to do with um what what god is in the business of doing and and god is in the business of doing uh, of creating a people who who desire him and, and love to praise his name and and mm. so to be an adopted child mm. of the triune god means that you're going to be in the in the business of um <laughs> singing god's um praises mm. in, in mm. life and in death so even like doubling down on that question in the specifics of like say say like my wife who's a, a busy mother of you know we're about to have our fifth child she's not she's she probably won't read your book i'm sorry she should but she's probably not going <laughs> to read any book you know yeah. what i mean she's going to yeah. be too busy she's not going to be able to consider truth um you know she's probably not going to be able to drill down um and so should should she make time for that well i i'm i'm much more concerned about her making time to uh, read holy scripture and so <laughs> she reads a, a book by Holmes or not I don't I don't really care um, but what I care about the most is is whether she's listening to God and and to God speak through the through the sacred scriptures the old and new testament and um, is is you know is she living a life that is a life of, of prayer of praying without ceasing you know to use Paul's language from First Thessalonians is um, the truth of the faith near and, and dear to heart or to, to your heart or to that of your children's. And so um, it's really not about sort of intellectualizing, over-intellectualizing the faith. Um, some of us are called, you know, I have a vocation to theology, one part intrinsic to my colleagues to write books. Um, they're, you know, demanding to ver uh, <laughs> but but the point is not um the, the point is is whether whether one is you know four years old or, or 44 or 84 years old um regardless of life stage vocation call etc to be fixated upon the things of god and and that can happen whether one is washing dishes or one is writing a fairly um technical piece of mm. of theology it, it, there's a number of different ways in which one can be faithful to the truth in terms of um calling yeah so if she like so say she's spending a lot of time washing dishes and say i'm spending a lot of time like typing on my keypad for work um yeah. it, but i make time to read 
read books on theology or what, whatever value I'm considering truth. Mm. What am I sort of in a better place than her? And if so, what, what is it? Is it because I have, I have greater clarity and with greater clarity becomes, comes mm. greater joy or what, what, what's ha- kind of happening behind the scenes here? Mm. Um, no, I don't think you're in a, Jason, you're in a remotely better position because you're typing away on a keyboard. <laughs> it might be better for your soul to be doing something. <laughs> no, I mean, we're both busy, but like, if I find time to read like theology books or, or consider truth more, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I think it's wonderful for folks to have time to read serious pieces of theology that are designed to that are written to encourage love of God, the deep things of God and the neighbor in relationship to God. That, that's, it's wonderful to have that time and space, but not everybody does. Um, and so I, I think that the, the, the bottom line is, is that you want to live a life that is given over to service and love of, of the things of God. And, and there are a number of different ways in which that can happen. Some of us are called to a more contemplative life, but don't think for a moment that life doesn't, isn't um it doesn't have its own kind of activity contemplation mm. is not a staid uh affair it's it's profoundly dynamic in nature mm. um but you know whether in, ter- in terms of you, your wife or your you 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 are be- because of who you belong to because you are christ therefore you have an obligation to listen to him and to mm. do what he says and to consider his claims as as relevant to, to all aspects of of individual life of, of social life corporate life indeed structural life so there's no sense in which you can say oh hey thanks be to god i'm free of <laughs> the gospel with respect to that aspect of the existence for that aspect of existence right i mean you're a sinner you're very you're very good at that as i am too but um but but the the end is to try to see uh, everything in relationship to God and to mm. see and to do everything uh, in light of God. So to live a life of hearing and doing, you might say, which connects with the original question about being and doing, you know, to hear the word of God, to love that which one hears mm. and to do the things it says to, to do. And, mm. and sometimes that'll have a more contemplative cast, if you will. And other times, um, there won't be that that kind of space available. Mm-hmm. Having said that, you and I are all we're all called to a life of ceaseless prayer, mm-hmm. and and that um, that's something that, that you know can be done whether one's riding, yeah. riding their bike to work or um, engaging in a, a Zoom um, conversation now or preparing for a lecture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so just so the listener can know, in the book you engage a lot with you know Aquinas and maximus and augustine or whatever so uh, so i have some quotes of, from the book peppered in here and so sometimes within those quotes you're quoting other people so i'm just letting the listener know there's quotes within quotes so if you want to highlight sure, those sure. you can but okay so in the book you said the christian life is ultimately about gaining familiar familiarity with god mm. and so what and familiarity with God is in quotes. So what is meant by the, by that exact thing, the Christian life ultimately being about gaining familiarity with God, because by the way, I grew up heard it was ultimately about evangelizing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
I'm all for you know, proclamation and for bearing witness in, in word and deed. Um, a, a life that is familiar with God is mm. one that is naturally going to be concerned with sharing the good news of God with the neighbor near and far. And so I wouldn't want to discount that for a moment. Um, but, uh, but in terms of the big picture, uh, the, the God we meet uh, in, in the pages of scripture is, is um, well, a consuming fire to use the language of Hebrews. And we're, we're very adept at working God over into our own image of domesticating God. And so um, the Christian life being a life of ever increasing intimacy and, and friendship and familiarity with with familiarity with respect to God, and I don't mean that in a, again in a domesticated sense. Mm. It's one of of coming to to know and love God as God um, reveals Himself to be uh, mm. in the history of Israel as it's fulfilled in Christ. And so, um, you know, the the as as someone who has a lot of you know Calvin in him. Um, your Calvin is very good at reminding us of, of how adept we are at making idols. Um, mm. The human heart is an idol factory. And so um, Christians are not exempt from that by any stretch of the imagination. The church is not exempt from that. And so um, the Christian life is one wherein we, we learn to love and serve the one true God and not an, an idol or a God of our own making. Mm-hmm. In the book, you also said, this line struck me because it struck me because uh, it's true in my own experience in this mm. life. You said, we who desire God will never be satiated. And I love how you unpack that in the new heavens and the earth. But mm. if we could just isolate this specific portion yeah. of, of the here yeah. and now while I'm walking around in this body of death. So like mm. I said, like experientially, I very much know that to be true. I'm, I am never satiated. So I was, curious if what is the i mean augustine was he sounds like he was satiated like oh our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you i'm so jealous man he found the rest i'm not <laughs> like he might be sipping the living water i feel like i just i sort of get drops of it you know the dim yeah. the dim mirror so i was yeah. curious what you what is the proper expectation of mm. being satiated right now because i have a perpetual like unsatiatedness (laughs) but it doesn't discourage me you know what i mean yeah yeah but but i would i would love to know if i'm not quite getting what i should be getting or something (laughs) well it sounds like you're doing really well (laughs) um yes we we will never be in this life we will never be fully satiated um that's for the life of the world to come and I, I, th- that motivation came from uh, Gregory of Nyssa and his, his text, The Life of Moses. And, and Gregory is very skilled at explaining how the life of the world to come is a life of ever-increasing delights uh, in light of God's glory and ever-increasing a, li- a life that, that gets better and better. And so heaven never reaches a kind of plateau, as it were, in terms of delight and intimacy with respect to, to God. Um, you think of Paul's language in 1 Corinthians 15, God shall be all in all. And that's and there's, there's a progression there, an eternal progression, if you will. Yeah. And so, yes, in this life, you're, you're not, um, this life is not the life of the world to come. And we, um, as you know, we, we 
struggle and, and suffer a great deal as we seek to be faithful. And, um, and, and part of the sort of the, the learning to desire the, the life of the world to come is that we see how um, inadequate this life is. Um, that's not to denigrate it for a moment, but to say that um, you and I inhabit bodies of, of death and thanks mm. be to God that they're being um, renewed and restored and will one day be right. raised uh, with Christ for life eternal. Um, but it's, it's a way of thinking about, um, it's a way of thinking about the future that is, I think, a, a really rich one. And, and it has lots of, mm. um, it has, it, it it's 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 one one that sort of moves beyond this vision of again heaven as a kind of static yeah. sort of place a static kind of realm a static mm -hmm. state of being and and gregory as i said is really instructive on these matters yep. so i lately i i think recently i told a friend i i, I just in passing i kind of said oh yes this great slash miserable life that i live and he felt <laughs> all bad for me but I'm like, isn't that how it is for most everyone? Like, I'm I'm pretty, yeah. I'm happy guy, but like, I mean, this life is it's horrible. Like, it is <laughs> there's thorns and thistles, and and it's mm -hmm. just rough. And then I realized I wasn't alone because now I see it everywhere. You know, yeah. I, Calvin says it, and Augustine even says it, even though he talks about finding rest. Like everybody just in passing assumes, yeah, oh yeah, life is kind of kind of crappy. You know, there's highs and lows. Um, yeah. But so that said. I mean, at the end of the day, the Holy Roland Pentecostals, they want <laughs> to have some experience. They want yeah, yeah. something. But and yeah. even sort of the academic folks, they almost want something as well, because when there's yeah. a theological point clicks in their mind, it sort of releases an endorphin, if you will, or there's an experience of bliss or so. So we all mm. are. It seems to be wired and long for some sort of divine <laughs> mixing it up in there right <laughs> however yeah. and so a bunch of us so we take it too far and then we talk about oh yeah he loves the word of god but not the god of the word or we talk about the holy rollers to where they're just like barking and they're not even considering <laughs> god in himself or yeah. whatever yeah. so but for me again it comes back to what is a proper expectation mm -hmm. so like is it and you use different language in the books you talk about like Oh, wait, did you use this one? I might have said this one, but proximity, mm. a felt friendship, a sweet intimacy. Uh, those mm. are things that people, a lot of people consider mental mm. clarity. So I guess the way I've been summing it up lately, and it sounds a little crass, but I think it's a good one. I really want to consummate my relationship with God, if you will, right? In a non sort of weird way. Yeah. So you get married, you consummate it and you're like, okay here we go. Like, but it's sort of this forever unconsummated relationship and it's, it's very difficult. So I'm not sure if you could speak to that. Well, uh, I'll try to say something helpful with God being my helper. Um, you use the language Jason of proper expectation and that's, mm. that's pretty, pretty important. Um, mm. I think there's a place for feeling in the Christian life for experience. Again, you know, Calvin, especially as he treats the supper of our Lord, the sacred supper of our Lord uses language of feeling quite, quite liberally that we might feel the promises of God. We might feel his benefits um, taking shape in us. And I've always been drawn to that qu quite effective side, if you will, of, 
of Calvin. And there are, there are others, of course, in the tradition. He's by no means alone. And so I think a proper expectation is one in which, yes, in this life, as brutal and damaged and as devastated as things are, as we are, it is entirely appropriate to feel, as it were, um, the promises of God taking shape in one's body, in one's heart, in one's mind, in one's soul. I think that is an entirely fitting and proper expectation. Now, I don't think one can um, program, as it were, <laughs> when that when that's going to happen. But I do think a life that tracks with um, the, the supper, with the sacraments, um, with the, the preaching of the word, mm. a life that is in regular fellowship with the people of God and with all, and all the highs and lows that that involves. There is a, a sense in which, yes, we should expect to feel in almost in a quite sort of visceral way, the promises of God taking shape in our, our mm. hearts and, and souls and, and minds. Um, and just regular, simple meditation, for example, in the, the Sermon on the Mount, as I've been trying to do this Lent, mm. um, that's a, the way uh, that, sets a proper expectation yes blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see god mm. right They'll hunger and thirst after righteousness and that that is setting up a kind of expectation that yes it isn't all about the life of the world to come that even in this life mm. the pure in heart see god and feel as it were god's promises um, being sealed upon heart and soul and, and mind the extent most often of my feeling is Craig Bartholomew says this. I don't know if he heard it from someone else, but he talks about living something like living, living with the grain of the universe or living sort of in the way that God created us to live in order, you know, you know, be, you know, yeah. Anyways. So when I feel like, okay, you know what? I, I know the, I, I think I know the telos of earth. I think I know my tasks. And then I have a, a rest, a mental rest comfort. And from that, a little bit of joy, if you will, springs mm. up. And so that's, that's mm. about it for the, for me. But I know a lot of people like, there's like thin places and stuff. I'm like, Ooh, that sounds nice, but I don't really have experiences <laughs> like that. Yeah. And I love a lot of folks who like a lot of the folks that you draw from, like with contemplation and these other people I talk to, I'm quite jealous of them. I'm like, how do you get caught <laughs> up in rapture? Um, so I guess I'm asking the same question, but almost like in a, the very specific sense, or like you referenced the promises of God. Mm. And we're talking about the, you know, of course there's this already and not yet, but for, for today, what are some specific potential things other than just sort of, knowing that I belong to Christ and I am his son with whom he's well pleased because I'm clothed in Christ. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, I think you, you have to, as we all do, we have to learn as simple as it sounds just to, to, to trust in the promises and mm. those promises have an effective dimension, um, a cognitive dimension, if you will. Um, I wrote the book in order to draw out some of the effective consequences of, of, of teaching that many folks deem to be fairly abstract and esoteric, mm -hmm. right? In what sense can the infinity of God possibly be relevant to Christian mm -hmm. existence? Well, that's everything to do with Christian existence. Um, in, in what sense can the immutability of God be relevant to Christian existence? Well, there's, there's lots of 
that, that, that God's immutability is a very generative, um, it's a very generative conviction in terms of thinking of our life before God as imitators of God. And so I think your expectation, my expectation in this life is one of, um, you know, following Paul's language, which anchors the book, be, be imitators of, of God, mm. imitate God. May the, the things that are true of God in a central sense, may they be true of you, uh, of I, our families, Christian communities in which we're involved in. That is, uh, that is the, our expectation is that um, God promises when we seek to imitate God, that our, our life be shaped by um, God. And, and as Thomas says, there's nothing better than God, right? So I think it's about, you know, you expect recognizing that there isn't anything better to expect than God. Do I like that? God, the father, that. God, the Holy spirit, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit. There's nothing better than that God in this yeah. life and in the life of the world to come. Mm. And so um, uh, that, that, that's, that that is the place we're brought back to again and again and again that that fundamental foundational metaphysical judgment conviction there is nothing better than god well i really like this and this yeah it start you know in the book you start with the existence of god which i was like oh man we're starting with the exit this is gonna be (laughs) you're right you really brought it down and then i think also in that section you actually start with like the Bible. And I'm like, no, I want to get like super obscure and detailed, but you, you get these super high level things. And I love this line about scripture. You say, when we draw near to scripture, we draw near to God. I was like, oh yeah, that is true. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so a little bit more on um, imitation. Here's a selection from the book. Uh, lo- would love if you could expand it a little bit. You said sure, a, t- sure. a twofold scriptural motif anchors this book. The mm-hmm. first is imitation. And then you mm-hmm. say, be imitators of me, writes Paul in Ephesians 5.1. The second is participation. And then you mm-hmm. quote, thus he has given us his precious, it's very great and uh, precious and very good promises so that you may become participants of the divine nature. Second Peter mm-hmm. 1, four. Both yeah. themes help us to consider how we might resemble the God in whom we exist. So assumed there, as you unpacked earlier, is this notion of resembling so what is it specifically about imitating God? Is, is imitating God like WWJD, what would Jesus do? Like, is that what we're talking about, imitating God? And then I guess it's two questions, but well, I'll, I'll follow up on participation. But if you could just hone in on imitation. Sure. Um, yes, thanks, Jason. Um, it has to do with, with resembling, as you said, it has to do with appreciating our being likenesses of God. Um, most people pay attention to the image business, which is important, but very little to the likeness business. And part of the, the um, one of the great, you might say, epiphany moments that occurred to me as I was writing this book uh, five or six years ago now, um, was that, oh, wow, um, we are likenesses of God, not just created in God's image, but we are likenesses. And so what is God like? Okay. What kinds of things are true of the one essence of the one God? What do we say on the basis of scripture is true of the one God? Um, And, and, and so how then if, for example, infinity is true of the one God, how might that be said to be true of us 
um, adopted sons and, and daughters of God in relationship to Christ. And so it's recognizing that there's such a thing, to, again, to use the language of the tradition, of relative infinity, that we are blessed with relative infinity. And so we, we when you think about our status, if you will, as likenesses, it's something we grow into. Um, the more become, become the more familiar we, we become with God, the more we imitate God, the more we are said to resemble God. And so I wanted to think about imitation in a way that does justice to Paul's unrelenting theocentrism mm. and to do justice to the fact that it isn't simply the second person of the Holy and Blessed Trinity that we are called to follow, but that imitation language has real density in the New Testament, but especially in Paul with respect to God, wow, <laughs> right? <I get> it. <laughs> yeah. So, so what is it, what does it mean to, to say that, that we are called to be likenesses of God to imitate God, what is true of God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. Um, and so it's, again, sort of deploying what someone regard as, again, kind of abstract teaching, mm. showing that actually it has everything to do with our the shape of our lives before God, that these claims scripture encourages us to make or commands us to make about the one God. Wow they have real salience in terms of our life before this God, right? If we come to share in God's nature, the nature that is common to the three persons of the Trinity, then, then that sharing is going to have some real consequences. Yeah. <laughs> going back to your original question for how we live, mm. right? The shape of our life individually and as uh, the Christian community before God. So, so it's trying to show that, um, the, especially the, the patristics, the Greek and Latin patristics, um, Augustine, the, the Gregories, uh, Thomas, and in, an, in his own quirky way, Calvin, you know, they're, they're all tracking along hmm. some similar lines. Hmm. They want us to see that God is, uh, God the Father is one to be imitated. And we, mm -hmm. we do so by living a life of love, uh, love that's um, modeled upon Christ. So, yes, trying to see that you're not, if you're just thinking about imitation in relationship to Christ, that's, 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 that's inadequate from a, from a biblical, a fully biblical um, vantage point. I've always, I felt like a heretic the last few years because I'm like, are we too Christocentric? It's like, whoa, I, even saying that, I'm like, am I going to get busted? It's like, I mean, I, I feel, and you talk about in the book of being theocentric, right? And so, and you, and you referenced it there. And then you, where, um, where did you say this? In the book, you say, quote, we wish to offer a thoroughly theocentric account of the Christian existence. And so, and it's okay, like speak freely. We're not going to think you're a heretic. We know that you believe in Jesus and whatnot, but what, what is that? Because people are always like, it's all like, I used to go to Mark Driscoll's yeah. church and I always say, it's all about Jesus. So is it all about Jesus or is it all about God or is it all about the church? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. And you don't want to make God, the father and God, the son compete with one another, but I, uh, by any means, but I think you want to honor what is, what is true of Jesus' mm -hmm. own ministry is that mm -hmm. he leads us to the father. He is the way to the father. The question in especially in John's gospel is where are you from? Are you from above? I.e. the father, are you from, or are you from below? Mm. And so 
Christ leads us to the Father, to his Father, our Father in him. And um, this really became really, really um, was drilled home as a word, easier language. Uh, I've, I've just completed a, a book on the speeches and the acts of the apostles. And, mm-hmm. and what occurred to me in studying the speeches, Peter and Paul's speeches in, in the Acts of the Apostles was, again, how utterly unrelentingly theocentric they are. And yeah. you would think of Acts as being a book primarily about, some people think it's more about the spirit um, or more even more about sort of the proclamation of the message mm-hmm. of Christ. And, and that those dimensions are, of course, there, but it is really the of God that has the most play mm. in Peter and Paul's speeches. And so it's about sort of appreci- appreciating the trajectory of Jesus's own ministry, mm. that he is, to use a Johannine language, the way to the Father. And, and I guess um, some of that seems to me to have gotten lost, mm. that, that the, the Son leads, unites, draws to the Father, right? Mm. The Father whom we are to imitate by living a life of love as, as Christ has, has taught us. And so it's not about displacing Christology, but it's about a, a sense of proportion really in honoring the, the, the biblical witness and that the biblical witness, whether it be John or the Acts of the Apostles is, is unre- unrelentingly, mm. um, you might say that the weight is on the first person of the Holy and Blessed Trinity. Mm. Right. And, and so to their, they're better in worse ways, I think, of being Christocentric. Yeah. And to be r- properly Christocentric means to recognize that that Jesus Christ, um, the risen Jesus Christ, he is in the business of, of leading, drawing to the Father um, by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's, that's what I want to... So what, as Christians, what should we be all about in the context of you know, and we're not like putting them against one another and the, you know, the yeah. father, the son, the spirit, what should we be about? I feel like most of it, it's like, you know, a lot of the new Testament, Paul, as you well know, we, is this in Christ language, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Um, and then you might be saying that's unto something that has to do with uh, God, mm-hmm. the father. So mm-hmm. as I'm talking with my kids or mm-hmm. people who are listening, who are preachers, I mean, what, what is the main thing? Is it being in Christ? Is it um, union with Christ or is it participation? And if it's participation, how does one be encouraged to further participate? Yeah. Oh, these are really rich questions. Um, I think Jason really to, to go even beyond all of those important motifs, participation, mm-hmm. imitation, union the the end motif if you will is the 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 greatest commandment as given to us in matthew 22 and Mm. so um we are united to the father through the son by the spirit union matters Mm. um because there's an end in mind which is that we are united in order that we might love and praise Mm. in life and in, in death and so all of these foundational biblical um designations imitation participation union for example or imitation participation that i pursue in the book Mm. they are they are not ends in themselves the end Mm. ultimately is is love Mm. and loving god 
and in this life, loving the neighbor and in relationship to God. And so I think that's a, and again, that's, that's the kind of theocentrism that I'm talking about, that, that what is, what is Jesus Christ seeking to, to do? He's seeking to, um, he pardons and forgives us, uh, blesses us with life eternal in order that we might sing his father's praises throughout mm. eternity mm-hmm. <laughs> in a, in a, in a, an utterly recreated, uh, restored heavens and, and earth, uh, earth yeah. that's transparent to heaven. And so that's, that's, that's what I'm, what I'm after. I'm after ultimately the greatest commandment in Matthew mm. 22 and honoring the, the theocentric trajectory of the greatest mm-hmm. commandment. Right. Mm. And I think a lot of, a lot of preaching and teaching certainly in 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 the sort of broadly speaking evangelical protestant world is focused on the son and to the detriment of the father and not yeah. recognizing that the son proclaims the kingdom of god which he mm. brings about in and through his his life death and resurrection mm. he's the content of what he preaches mm. but it is but he is he will one day surrender the, the kingdom again, following first Corinthians 15 to the father who will be all in all. And so there's, there's re- recognizing that there is an order in the triune life. That order is on display in the um, economy of salvation, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, and our, and so when we think about the Christian life, we're honoring these deep patterns present mm-hmm. in, in both testaments right that jesus is from the father the father's not from him he is from the father right he's eternally begotten of the father some might think dusty metaphysics but well it's not because he is from the father we are born again in and through him by the power of the spirit that we might truly um belong to the father through him Mm. and so it's again it's just it's trying to be Christocentric in the right kind of way. Right. And that, in my judgment, is to be deeply theocentric, which is to honor the, the, the again, Jesus's own, the pattern of his own ministry, teaching of, of Paul's unfolding of that. It is that the, the God ha- takes precedent. Mm-hmm. So I've heard a lot of people say, if you teach a, if a pastor were to preach an Old Testament passage, or, you know, preach anything that any rabbi could teach today, you know, without referencing Jesus, then it's not a Christian message. What, what would your thoughts be to that? Oh, I, yeah, I don't, I wouldn't quite be on board with that. Um, I think Jason, as, as someone who's most of my preaching ministry, teaching ministry over the last several years has been anchored in the old Testament. Mm. Um, The old Testament is about, discloses to us the, the promise the shape god's deep unbelievably deep commitment mm. to the promise to abram um enunciated mm. in genesis 12 mm-hmm. and 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 that's that yes is is fulfilled uh in christ in light of his his in his life death resurrection ascension heavenly session mm. but but i i don't think for for a moment we we want to we want to sort of hear the Old Testament witness in all of its entirety, as strange and wonderful and bizarre at times as it is. We don't want to park Christ. At the same time, we 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 want to to recognize that he. We want to re- well, we want to recognize what he 
tells us to recognize, which is that he speaks through Moses. He mm. speaks through the prophets. The, the Psalms, David's voice is transparent to his, his voice. We mm. want to hear him speak to us through the totality of scripture in light of the, of the promise. Mm. And so I, when I, you know, preach from the old Testament or teach from the old Testament, as I often do, I want my students, um, congregants, parishioners to hear God speaking and to recognize as we hear God speak, whether whether it be through Nahum or Ecclesiastes or Job or um, Habakkuk or Leviticus, that the God we're hearing speak through there is the one who has spoken in these last days through his son. So again, it's not sort of making the testaments compete with one another. Yeah. Um, by any means, it's just it's recognizing that this this the center of gravity, if you will, in in all of Scripture, has to do with yes, with God, the Triune God, and that the Father has a kind of precedence, if you will, in in mm. in the unfolding of the covenant. Totally, um, that's what I'm trying to capture and that when it comes to thinking about the christian life you again we think in sort of very narrowly christocentric terms and i'm trying to think in in following the new testament lead ultimately totally in trinitarian terms yeah and recognizing that there is order in the divine life and that order is reflected in the pattern of the christian life Mm -hmm. right the son Mm -hmm. is from the father again that's not a reversible relationship right Mm -hmm. that's why trinitarian metaphysics matter but those metaphysics trinitarian metaphysics it, at its best is just trying to gloss basic patterns uh present in both testaments yeah yeah so that's you know that's what i'm what i'm after no dr holmes i love this like you know 100 100 plus interviews and it's like i feel like if we're being honest with the whole bible it's sort of you know it's the, like really theocentric and people are almost people i interview they're like almost like sort of scared to to run with that because they don't want to be seen as like minimizing Christ. And I mean, Mm -hmm. even just when I talk about this subject, it's always like, so having said that, I'd love to share a a thought that I have with, with one of my friends, and maybe you could see if I've knee jerked too far. When we Mm -hmm. think of the gospel, you know, the the historical, you know, birth, life, death, resurrection of Jesus, we Mm -hmm. think like, well, is that more like the wedding day? So the (laughs) wedding day, you know, we got the rings on, we got baptized. And now because of the wedding day, you know, I've been married to my wife like a decade. Now we go, we go on walks, we go swim, we have a family because of that day. We don't sit around every single day and only think about the glorious wedding, which was wonderful with good cake and friends. We're like, <laughs> okay, because of the wedding day, let's go be married. <clears throat> Is that too far? Is that, is that too, like, am I removing myself too much from the wedding day? And I'll never, if it wasn't for the wedding day, then we wouldn't in fact be married. So it's never that I'm letting, letting go of it or minimizing, but I'm now saying some might, I'm not, am I moving on from the, from the gospel or moving on? You know what I mean? I'm not not sure if you have any thoughts of that, or you want to correct my heretical. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I I don't think you want to move on as it were from your baptism <laughs> um you know the christian life is in many respects a kind of perpetual return to to your baptism and to its claims upon you um having having said that 
uh, as you well know, marriages grow and one hopes and, and, and evolve. And I think it's, it's fundamentally a, a matter of, of, of emphasizing the things that Holy Scripture, that sacred scripture wants us to emphasize. Mm. And when it talks about our baptism, our initiation into the life, death, resurrection of Christ, into a life of fellowship and, and communion with his people centered around preaching and mm. word and sacrament, um, we I don't think we ever want to let go of the centrality of baptism. Having said that, baptism itself assumes a lot of other convictions a lot of other judgments a lot of other um teaching right because jesus again doesn't appear on the scene from nowhere he's unintelligible apart from israel and it's as his own baptism reflects it's the the father who speaks and says listen to him this is my beloved son listen to him and so even even jesus's own ministry receives validation if you will from from the father and is only intelligible in relationship to the father who mm. speaks through him mm. in order that we might we might come back to him i.e to the father um mm. through the son by the spirit so i don't want to discount for a moment the significance of your of, of the wedding day as it were and understood along baptismal lines but i but i do want to suggest that baptism doesn't again, emerge in a vacuum, just like Jesus doesn't emerge in a vacuum. Mm. He's unintelligible apart from the promise made to Abram um, and reiterated and expanded to, to David in 2 Samuel 7, mm. right? So we, we, we want to place things in their proper scriptural context, ultimately. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's part of, I think, cap, a, 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 a proper, a, truly biblical Christocentrism, if you will, mm. is one that is relentlessly focused upon the old testament because of course that is the um that that is that makes sense Mm. of jesus's ministry and jesus makes no sense apart Mm. from what came before and that's what how he teaches us to think about what he's doing i'm i'm not denigrating the law i'm not destroying the law as he reminds us matthew's gospel i'm here to um i'm not taking a jot or a tittle away from it i'm here to uphold it and ultimately to fulfill its telos fulfill its end Mm -hmm. which it could not fulfill in and of itself because of sin so it's again it's about context it's about placing baptism these fundamental sort of moments in light of the whole and i think the the emphasis on the in terms of the whole is ultimately the first person of the holy and blessed trinity Mm -hmm. and and by rightly attending to ascribing priority to God the Father. That's how one honors God the Son yeah. and in turn yeah. God the Holy Spirit. Yeah. yeah. So I have to choose like we have a bunch of questions left. Our time's running out. I'm gonna have to just two choose two more and you could do a bullet point response if you want. Sure. I should just do one, but I'm I gotta get you with these two. So you could do a quick one. But we've been talking with Christopher Holmes and the book is a theology of the Christian life, imitating our and participating in God. And so I guess the, the, uh, like I said, you could just do a one-liner if you want, just cause I had to get these to you. You said, quote, the Christian holds fast to God and participates in the d- divine life. You continue on. We must live in love. Jesus tells an unnamed, unnamed rich young ruler to sell what he has, give to the poor. He says that many are not worthy of him. Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. So on. And then you say, God cannot re- reside in those 
who are without virtue. Pauline teaching on justification by faith, the faithfulness of Christ does not contradict the teaching of Maximus, who you're referencing. Now, having said that, that's like, uh, I'm not that if that's gospel, then it's not good news for me because I am pretty sure I do love my children more than God. Like mm-hmm. I don't say that one ton. I'm, I yeah. think I do because I, I don't, I don't know. I, I just, at least I, I have more emotional connection to them. Yeah. And yeah. I think I probably choose them over God often. And then the other part is um, I don't have an intense does. I think I do have an intense desire for God, but more, more than my children, but I probably act out more on my love for my kids. So again, <laughs> you could probably answer that in, in a whole like classroom lecture, but I'm not sure if you have just any low hanging thoughts. Um, no, the, the, thanks Jason. I think you, I'd encourage you to see the love you have for your children mm-hmm. in relationship to God, that you're loving God by loving your children and you're loving God by loving mm-hmm. your wife. You're loving God by loving yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, not to see again, it, see those those as competing with one another. Love for your wow. children vis-a-vis love for God. Um, mm. So yes, love your kids well, serve them well, and in so doing, you you're loving God. Nice. Here's the last one. What are like our marching orders? We're gonna hang up. Someone listen to this. If I got one thing, like okay, what should I be thinking or doing, or what would I do well to consider? Yeah, um, I think one could do worse than considering St. Paul and um, 1 Thessalonians 5 in terms of abstaining from evil, um, praying without ceasing, uh, not quenching the Holy Spirit. Those are some pretty helpful commandments, as it were, really appropriate to Lent, but not just Lent. So in terms of, yes, easily low-hanging fruit, scriptural fruit, (laughs) um, I would want those who who are able to read the book to have come away from reading it, uh, having encountered the deep things of God and having seen how relevant the God's, the essential claims scripture makes with respect to God, how relevant those are to the shape of our life before God. So yes, um, pray without ceasing as a way of fulfilling the the dominical commandment in Matthew um, chapter 22. Thank you, brother. It's been really insightful. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Yep, uh, really appreciate your questions, and it's wonderful to talk about um, the truth of faith with you. We came for salvation. We came for family. We came for all that's good. That's how we'll walk away. We came to break the bad. We came to cheer the sad. We came to leave.